Christmas, everyone. We're Keith and Elizabeth Mace, and this is the fourth week of Advent. Today we're focusing on the light of love. A reading from John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. 2 Samuel 7, 1 through 11 and 16. Now it came about when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest on every side from all his enemies, that the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells within tent curtains. Nathan said to the king, Go do all that is in your mind, for the Lord is with you. But in the, na- in the same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and say to my servant David, thus says the Lord, Are you the one who should build me a house to dwell in? For I have not dwelt in a house since the day I brought up the sons of Israel from Egypt, even to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent, even in a tabernacle. Wherever I have gone with all the sons of Israel, did I speak a word with one of the tribes of Israel, which I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make you a great name, like the names of the great men who are on the earth. I will also appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, that they may live in their own place, and not be disturbed again. Nor will the wicked afflict them any more as formerly. Even from the day that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, And I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. God's greatest gift of love comes through his son Jesus. But it is also expressed in his constant presence with us in our everyday lives. We can best know the love of God by accepting Jesus, and we can best show our love to God when we trust and acknowledge him in our daily lives and welcome him into each activity of our day. Well, good morning. Merry Christmas. It's here. Are you ready? How many of you still have shopping to do today? How many of you are done? How many of you been done since like October? <laughs> yeah, yeah, me neither. <clears throat> well, I just want to wish you all a Merry Christmas. I'm Matthew Lee, pastor here at Grace. Um, if you've been with us over the last four weeks, we've been through a, a season called Advent season where the title has been Holy Light. And we, we chose that uh, specifically for holy meaning set apart. Um, and then light, meaning uh, to reveal or to shine uh, on and give direction, to give security. Uh, the first week, we looked at the light of hope. Uh, the, then after that, we looked at the light of peace. Last week, Steve talked about the light of joy. And this morning, we're going to look at the light of love. Um, the story of God coming to us in the manger is a story not only to us, but about us and for us. And so this morning, I want to focus on love, but I ask you to begin now even thinking this way, is that this morning would be a morning of reflection, of personal reflection. 
not so much that you would hear the story as you've always heard it, but that it would be a story as you hear it for yourself, maybe in a way for the first time. God's expression of love is most clearly expressed in the person of Jesus. The Christmas season is a visible and tangible expression of God's love in Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, love is here. Uh, last weekend, I was performing a, a wedding in Indianapolis, and it was a beautiful wedding, beautiful setting. Uh, the reception was wonderful, and the father of the bride gets up, and he says this as part of his toast. Christmas is a love story, and all the Christmas carols are love songs. And so when I started thinking about Christmas as a love story, my mind started thinking about a love story for who? A love story for me and for you. And all the songs that we sing are love songs about God's love for us. It's a really interesting perspective when you think about the Christmas story as a love story. Now, I don't know if any of you are like me, but you say I love you a lot during your day and during your week, whether it's to your kids, whether you text it, whether you email it, whether you say it on the phone, whether you write it in a letter, you say I love you, I love you. But I want to ask you this morning, what do you mean when you say it? What are you really communicating? What do you think they're receiving? What do you receive when somebody says I love you? Is the phrase, I love you, so familiar, uh, so easily rolling off our tongues that it's lost its depth and its value and its meaning in our lives? Is it possible that maybe even the Christmas love story has become so familiar that it just rolls off our tongues and kind of into our mind but never really pierces the heart? The Christmas story is a love story. It's a it's a, a, a story about God's love for us. Christmas is love. I was talking to someone this week, and I said, you know, sometimes the easiest topics, the easiest subjects, are also the most difficult subjects. When you talk about love, it's one of those things that everybody talks about love. It's just an easy topic to talk about. You talk about the Christmas story. It's just like one of those greatest stories I've ever told. And so you hear these two stories come together and you kind of go, it's so easy. But it can also become so familiar. And so this morning, I want to ask you to, to be more reflective, to think, particularly about love. Love is everywhere. It's the easiest and most familiar story because we're surrounded with it. You know, if you pick up a book, if you uh, listen to a song, if you go to a movie, somehow love is going to be involved. A loss of love, a new love, how do you get love back? All the stories about love are going to be present. And so the topic of love, uh, although it's, there's a lot of information about it, sometimes even that may be a hindrance. One author said this, in spite of all the wealth of information, ideas, suggestions, and impersonations about what love is and how it was lost and how it can be given back, we realize that not everyone's idea is the same about what it is, where it comes from, how it's understood, received, and expressed. Therefore, it's no wonder that many misunderstand and misinterpret God's love. Many times, I'm sure, and I've found it even in myself, 
that I'll take sometimes what I think love is or what I think I've experienced of love, and I'll try to place that love on God. But God's love is altogether different. It's altogether different. Remember a couple weeks ago, I was doing the message on peace, and Jesus is talking with his disciples in John chapter 14, and he says to them as he's about to be crucified, he says, my peace I give to you. My peace I leave with you. But the peace is not as the world gives. That's not what I'm giving you. My peace is altogether different. In that same setting, in that same scenario, we could substitute the word love. My love I give you, not as the world loves you. It's something altogether different. It's altogether different, my love. So this morning, I want us to be reflective on God's love for us and the expression of his love in Jesus. Now, there is a familiar passage that I want us to recite together that some of you memorized when you were kids, and you still know it. You ready? John 3, 16. For this is how God loved us, or say it with me, this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son that so everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. I'm convinced there's no simpler truth than this, more powerful truth than this, is that the message of Christmas, the message of God, is that God sacrificially loves and God graciously saves. As we reflect on the Christmas story and the truth of Jesus' birth into the world, I pray that we begin thinking of it in terms of a love story from God to you. Let me pray for us before we begin. God, thanks for this morning. God, thanks for all the things that we have been given, experienced. God, thanks for the things we sang about this morning. God, thanks for everybody being here today to celebrate Christmas, the birth of your son. And God, this morning I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would teach us, convince us, change us by the truth of this love story at Christmas. That you so loved us that you sent your son. That whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It's the greatest love story, God, and we need your help to comprehend it, to allow it to sink into our hearts, and to live it out on a daily basis. Would you take a minute and pray for the person beside you or behind you, that person across the room that maybe you gave a hug to, that they would hear from the Lord, that they would reflect on the truth of this love story for them and respond to it. In Jesus' name, amen. First thing I want to start out with is, the first point is, it all starts with love. Listen to this passage from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending us his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, 
but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. Such a powerful passage of scripture. What is John telling us about God? He tells us that God is love and he's always been love. Let the words sink in. God is love. God is love. He's the source of love. He's the beginning of love. We wouldn't know about love if it wasn't for God. In fact, we read the Bible and it's been referenced as God's love letter to us. Love is fundamentally who God is. It's the essence of him. It's his nature. And because it's who he is, he cannot stop being who he is, which is love. Romans 8, 37 and 38. Nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Why? Because God is love. Many times my thoughts and expressions, for sure the world's thoughts and expressions, uh, tend to be a little bit more flippant than that. Than what the scriptures convey. Why is this so important for us to get a hold of? With God, it means there is no shallowness. There's no temperamentalness. There's no pick and choose. It's always consistent because it's always who he is and it's always who he has been. There is no way for God to express anything other than love because he can never be disassociated with his nature. Love is the motive of all his thoughts and all his actions. Now, let me just stop and say this. When I think about becoming more like Jesus, I think about God being love. And I think about all his motives and all his actions being love. And I think, that's not always the case with me. Is it with you? God is always motivated by love. And look at the action that he goes as a, as a motivator. John 3, 16, For God so loved that he what? He gave. Who did he give? His one and only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God didn't send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. It gets really simple. God loves and God gives. Many sermons have been preached on John 3.16. In fact, Billy Graham, uh, that's all he talked about. All he talked about, he, he, all his sermons were about John 3.16. And for those of you uh, under 25, ask your parents who Billy Graham is, and they'll tell you. Think with me just for a second. Think with me just for a second about your own life. When and where was your definition of love first set? Maybe you began thinking when somebody said to you, I love you, and you really knew it, what did you really know? Or when somebody did something for you, and you're like, man, they love me. How did you know? Or, or when you said, I love you, 
and you felt the other person receive it as love, how did you know? What did it look like? What did it feel like? For some people, the words, I love you, were spoken, but they weren't backed up. Maybe you grew up in a house like that. Maybe you grew up in a house where the words were never spoken, but the actions backed it up and you knew. Well, here's the great thing. God put both of those things together. He says, I love you, and then he did something about it. And so the question I want to ask this morning is this. When is the first time you knew that you were really loved by God? When is the first time you knew you have received God's love? Where were you? Who was with you? Maybe, maybe there's some here who can say, I don't know never been there and my prayer our prayer is that this would be the morning john in this passage which is he's also known as the apostle of love all the time is talking about god's love in fact his message is our only hope in understanding love is to seek and understand god because god is love and he first loved us let me just ask you this too when you hear this god loves you god so loved the world doesn't it make you want to lean in that the inventor of love the the source of love the beginnings of love says i love you doesn't that make you want to lean in most of the time we don't lean in because we think there's no way God could love me. We think about our past situations, our past disappointments, our disobedience, our inconsistencies, and we think, if God knows about me, which he does, there's no way he could love me. And I'm here to tell you this morning, that's just not consistent with Scripture. Philip Yancey is, is famous for this quote, that there is nothing we can do to make God love us more, and there is nothing we can do to make God love us less. Why? Because it's God is love. He loves you. It's the very essence of who he is. It's not a love that says, I'll love you as long as you do something for me. It's not a love that we hear and experience sometimes here. As soon as you stop doing that, the love gets cut off. That's not God. It's not conditional. God cannot stop loving you. Jeremiah 31.3 I have loved you with an everlasting love, therefore I have continued my faithfulness to you. God's love is more of an expression of his character and nature than it is even about us experiencing it. How does that play out in our lives? I know many times I've talked to people, if God loved me, then why would he let this happen? Why is this situation happening? Why is this person going through this? Why am I going through this? If God loved me, he, surely he would change my situation. And I can't answer why things happen the way they answer, why they, why they happen the way they do, what circumstances you have. But I can tell you this with all the confidence. Whatever happens in our lives and whatever circumstances we face, they are never inconsistent with the love of God. 
whatever circumstance you're in, whatever person's in your life, whatever struggles you have going on, they are never inconsistent with God's love for you. And it leads us to our second point, is that he graciously, graciously gives us the gift of Jesus. Listen to verse 16. He gave his son, his one and only son. Uh, Keith and Elizabeth read this verse earlier from John and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory. Glory is the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now think about this for just a second. Out of God's great love that he has for us, he gave. And what did he give? Think about what God's given you. Just think of the things God's given you. Growing up, I remember singing a song, Count Your Blessings, Name Them One by One. What has God given you? The ultimate thing he gave you was his one and only son. God always gives his best. He doesn't have the capacity to give any less. He doesn't give leftovers. God doesn't have leftovers. He always gives us his best. Now, this, this word, uh, words in the Greek and the New Testament talks about only begotten. We don't use that phrase very much anymore. The only begotten. Anybody use that this past week? What does it mean? Only begotten, unique, special, one of a kind, can't duplicate. So God, out of his love for me, gave his very best in Jesus, who is his one and only, unique, special, non-duplicating son. And why? The manger was the first step towards the cross. And I can't even begin to fathom, nor do I want to fathom, what it would be like to take my one and only son and sacrifice him. But that's what God does. That's what God did in Jesus. Jesus has come to earth. The Almighty has entered our world. The infinite has become finite. The eternal has invaded time. Why? To communicate his love. Paul tells us in Galatians 4, 4, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, at just the right time, all about God's timetable. And, and this is how the Bible talks about Jesus. Colossians 1, 15, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. John 14, 9, Jesus is the exact image of his Father. If you've seen him, you've seen the Father. The Word became flesh. Why? So we could understand God's love. Do you remember when the angel came to Mary in Luke chapter 1? Listen to the scene. The angel says in Luke chapter 1, verse 31, You will conceive and give birth to a son. You will name him Jesus. And he'll be very great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. Mary asked the angel, But how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby will be born holy, and he will be called the Son of God. Now, no one can say exactly how this happened. Theologians call this the incarnation. But here's the truth. God himself, out of his love in himself, gave Jesus, who is himself, for us. 
the perfect Son of God, holy. Why? Jesus came to communicate God's love. This Christmas thing we're doing is a love story. Christmas is love. God loved. God gave his son to the world to save us. Do you remember that song, um, to save us all from Satan's power when we had gone astray? That's why we say, oh, tidings of comfort and joy because of Jesus, which leads us to our final point. God's sacrificial love is his way of salvation. Three or four translations of verse 17. Jesus came that the world might be saved through him. He is here to rescue a world headed toward certain destruction, to save a world through him. One author says it this way, The incarnation tells you who God is, perfectly, holy, bountifully loving, and who you are, sinful, unable to escape. And believing both equals hope. Believing both equals hope. There is a sacrificial component to the Christmas story that we must embrace. If we were perfect, Jesus would not have had to come. Now, I know some of you look in the mirror some mornings and you go, it's about as close as you get. But all of us, person to your left, person to your right, person in front of you, behind you, all of us, all of us are not perfect. That's why we need one who is. The perfect son of God. Isaiah said, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us to our own way. Because we're not perfect, because we are sinful, because we were and are more concerned about ourselves and building our own kingdom, Jesus came. One author commented this way, The coming of the infant king means the gracious destruction of the kingdom of self and a loving welcome into the kingdom of God. Jesus came, this infant king came, with the gracious destruction of my own kingdom so that I could be welcomed into his kingdom. That's what we talk about. Jesus came to destroy this kingdom of self. This author goes on to say this, the kingdom of self is the inescapable, destructive commitment of every person that was ever born. All of us have a desire to build a kingdom of self. For me to be on the throne, for me to call the shots, for me to tell you what to do and how you are to... To love and please me. See if any of these resonate with you or of these surface in your life. The kingdom of self explains why we are so often irritated and impatient, quick to anger and frustration. The kingdom of self describes why some of us are constantly unhappy. The kingdom of self causes us to want what we will never, ever have and demands what we do not deserve. The kingdom of self puts us at odds with one another. Listen to what Paul says to the church at Corinth about this kingdom of self, this pursuing of ourselves and how it can be eradicated. That those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. 
So when we receive Jesus as this love gift from God, we no longer live unto ourselves. Sin causes us to live for ourselves. And in our self-centeredness, here's what can happen. We convince ourselves that our wants are our needs. We can convince ourselves that our wants in life are our needs. And notice this too. I've noticed this about myself sometimes. When we're angry, it's seldom because people have broken God's law. Most of the time we get angry because they broke my law. Y'all can say amen, I agree, me too. Any of those will work. Now, I realize this is not the stuff about Christmas and Mary and Joseph and the wise men and the baby. But here's the truth about it. We have to talk about the intentional, essential part of Jesus' coming. As we celebrate the birth of Jesus, we also need to reflect on the intensity of God's grace. We, we don't deserve it. Jesus came to annihilate and slaughter and destroy our self-oriented kingdoms. That's what the light shows us. It shows us those dark places in our hearts. It shows us those shadows that we have and that we walk in. That he came to give us light. As Seth said, saying, O great light of the world, come and fill up my heart. Because there's dark places in there. And because sin has tragically infected all of us, the presence, work, and grace of that baby in the manger is all that we need. We can deceive ourselves. We can lie to ourselves in the believing that we are wiser and smarter and we have it all together. But the reality is, we don't have what it takes to be God. And we deceive ourselves. Let me suggest four ways we deceive ourselves in thinking that we don't need Jesus. We minimize our sin. We name it something else. We just, we just call it something else. We don't even call it sin anymore. We just call it whatever we want to call it to make us feel better about it. The other thing we do is we tend to doubt the wisdom of God's word. When we don't start listening to God's word, we start listening to ourselves and thinking we know the answer. Here's another way we deny God's rescue plans. We tend to be more concerned about the wrongs of others than our own sin. I know that on any given day, I can be more engaged in, I can be more concerned with and more focused on the wrongs of people I live and love and work with than I am about my own self. This is another place you can say, amen, I agree, me too. <laughs> and the reality is this. We will always, always deny our need for God's grace when we are more irritated than we are convicted. Another way we deny God's rescue plan is we tend to deny what's in our own hearts. I, I don't know about you, but this past month has been busy. November was busy. And you know what I'm afraid of? If we're honest, January is going to be busy. So will February. And my concern is, is that we don't take time to see what's in our hearts 
and let God show us what's in our hearts. Those dark places, those wrong motives, those areas of control. That we don't sit with God long enough to let him show us in our hearts. And when we do that, we deny God's rescue plan because we've got it together. I don't know about you, but I can name some stuff in my life, and I can become a pretty good defense lawyer about it. Anybody else? Can defend it pretty well. Why am I talking about this? Because I'm convinced that when it comes to the redeeming work of Jesus, exuberant rejoicing that is called for at Christmas can only begin with brokenhearted weeping. If we don't have brokenhearted weeping, we can't understand what the gift we've been given in Jesus. I was talking with a friend recently, and we were talking about situations and people that we can't control. <laughs> that we have no power to influence or to change. And sometimes it leaves you powerless. And sometimes that, that powerlessness feeling can leave you feeling frustrated and guilty. But here's what I recognized. I recognized that being powerless brings freedom. Being powerless ushers in freedom because I don't have to figure it out. It brings freedom. It's not a resolve to be lazy. It's not a resolve to push it aside. It's just a resolve to rest in the love of God. Recognition of this is a really powerful place. One quote I read this week said this, Only when sin breaks our heart will the coming of the Messiah excite our hearts. The motive and expression of God's love is our redemption and restoration. Sacrificial love is God's way of salvation. Listen to John 10.10. Jesus said, I came that may have life and have it abundantly. John, 1 John 5.12, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. John 14.6, the familiar phrase Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. It's pretty simple. If you have Jesus, you have life. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. It's not based on us. I love Titus 3, verses 4 and 6. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, that's in the manger, he saved us. Not on the basis of the deeds which we had done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through our Jesus Christ, our Savior. We find in Jesus that God's love and forgiveness isn't given away sparingly, but recklessly and indiscriminately. God's love is completely and thoroughly inclusive. If you notice in verse 16 of John chapter 3, it says, For whoever believes, whoever believes, it, it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done, it doesn't matter where you are in life, it doesn't matter what you know about God or what you don't know about God, it doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are, Whoever believes should not perish and have eternal life. 
St. Augustine had the, had, has one of the greatest quotes. God loves each one of us as if there's only one of us. It's not just a story out there. It's a love story specifically for each person in this room. And I pray you embrace it. I want to close with a couple of questions, a couple of applications. If you're here this morning and you've never experienced the light and love of God in Jesus, it's simple. It's simple. Just say, Jesus, I receive your love. I realize I've messed up, but you love me anyway. And you went to a cross for me to pay for my sins. And I want that in my life. I need that in my life. I've been asked a number of times, it's Jesus' birthday. What are you going to give Jesus, a person who has everything? The only thing he wants is you. It's the only thing he wants is you. So this morning, if you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, to save you from your sins, whatever phrase you want to put on it, may this be the morning that you would understand how much you are loved, unconditionally loved of God. No greater conversation I'd rather have after the service. And for the rest of us who are believers, I want to encourage you with three things. The first is this, rehearse the story of Jesus. Rehearse the Christmas love story for yourself. Take time, pause, take a walk this afternoon. Just go be and sit with Jesus and rehearse his great love for you, that you are his beloved, that he loves you with an everlasting love, and that's never going to go away. The second thing is share Jesus. John 20, 21, Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. For those of us who've experienced the love of God, do we have a story to tell? And then live the story of Jesus. Jesus and this Christmas story just doesn't reside in our hearts. It just doesn't, uh, in our minds, it just doesn't uh, pierce our hearts. It's actually lived out in our lives. Loving the way God has loved us. May your words and my words be connected to God and his expression of love for us. I do want to say thank you again for celebrating your Christmas Eve with us. I hope you open presents tomorrow and you get everything you want. And if not, they save the receipt so you can go get whatever you want. (laughs) I pray you have a, a wonderful time with your families. But most importantly, most importantly, I pray you have a wonderful time with God. That you would embrace, maybe for the first time, how much he loves you. And how he's proven that love to you by sending his son Jesus for you. And may every Christmas after this be just as meaningful as this first one. Let me pray for us. God, this morning we are so humbled. There's no doubt we don't understand. There's no doubt that we have questions. But God, I pray this morning as we sit and think and rehearse this Christmas story, that we would see it personally as a love story, that you love me so much, that you sent Jesus for me, 
If I believe in him, I would never perish, but have everlasting life. God, I pray that that would resonate so true with all of us. And that this Christmas season, we would experience the light of hope, the light of peace, the light of joy, and the light of love found in the manger this season. Help us by your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, let's stand together.